sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast Tim Bashara is the Federal Policy Director at the Wilderness Society Australia. He has uh, previously been a media advisor to the Australian Green Senator Peter Wish-Wilson and was earlier a policy advisor to the office of the Honourable Robin Parker MP who was the Liberal National Party Environment Minister in 2011. He joins us to give us a bit of an insider's perspective on the tactics of the koala killer faction of the New South Wales Coalition Government. Tim, thank you for joining Environmental As Anything today. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting. Yeah, well, I was really caught by your uh, opinion piece in the Herald a couple of days ago. Uh, saying that uh, you've worked for the New South Wales government and you've seen Barillaro's tactics before. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting piece to write. It was actually not the easiest piece I've ever written, to be honest. It was. Um, I kind of wanted to write something around pointing out that this was a significant moment in sort of modern Australian political history in that we've had a coalition leader stand up to the sort of I don't know, some backbench or sometimes frontbench revolt around environmental or climate issues. Mm. And I wonder if, you know, we've, you know, we had Malcolm Turnbull when he was in opposition rolled for trying to do something around climate change, no matter what you think about that policy, he was trying to do something rather than nothing. Mm. And he got rolled from the backbench because of that. Likewise, he got taken down as prime minister for trying to do something quite mild on climate change. Mm. Um, and in New South Wales, We've had various environmental policies where there's been implicit or explicit threats and the, the people who have been making those threats tended to have got their way. And in this case, I wanted to point out that Berejiklian in standing up for a policy that, you know, you probably discussed with your um, audience before isn't the strongest koala protection policy that is needed, um, but it's something. Mm. Um, the public would have seen all the things that Barilaro said in public, but then you know, a lot of around koalas, but a lot of what would be said private would, you know, would be stuff that the public would be interested in hearing and wouldn't actually, I don't know, it'd be probably a quite coarser language around how they describe how they feel about koalas, perhaps. Well, Kate Famine says uh, that uh, she's heard it said that the Barilaro and his mates are talking about tree rats, then they talk about koalas as tree rats, but uh, so they clearly have a, a hostility to uh, to our koalas. But we might get to that a bit later on. I just wanted to get back to a little bit the Premier Gladys Berejiklian holding her ground in the koala wars is the first time in more than a decade that a leader of the coalition party at a state or federal level has been willing and also able to stare down a threat from within over a climate or environment policy. You've written as the opening power of your, uh, your piece here in the Herald. Do you think that the determination that uh, the, the Premier Berejiklian has demonstrated on this uh, occasion will hold uh, and translate into positive action for koalas? Uh, or is, this, uh, is there going to be a backdoor uh, deal done that, where they quietly acquiesce to the Nats? Uh, it's uh, probably a fairly key question. I think when I was writing this, that even whether she rolls or not later, 
even standing up is still a significant thing in its own right. Mm. But I wasn't, you know, it's a market point, but I don't know whether it's necessarily a turning point. Mm. Being able to stand up is for, you know, in a public stouch is one thing, but whether there is weakening of this policy later on, I don't know. I would expect there would be pressure on. I mean, the way that the campaign was run by the Nats was particularly clumsy. Mm. And if it was a little bit more well you know, orchestrated and concerted, they might have been more effective. Like, this was pretty much a, you know, Dodger and Cars smash derby, smash up derby sort of exercise where they were really you know, pretty, when it comes to politics and campaigning, pretty desperately unprofessional and pretty, you know, lazy, to be honest. So if they were to get their act together, then perhaps there might be pressure on the government to weaken it, but there's going to be a lot of scrutiny around that policy and... You know, as I wrote in the piece, um, I, the reason I believe the the Premier was able to stand up to is because she had an obligation to and around this in terms of electoral support for her current sitting Liberal members in that if she was to effectively embrace a Barilaro-type position on the environment, then it would cost her government electorally at the next election. Yeah, well, that is a really powerful point. And, and, and there's certainly internal ructions. You've said the electoral consequences for the Liberals as the climate and species extinction crises become more visible, uh, you know, with the, the recent uh, in, you know, climate infernos, uh, the electoral dynamics are shifting further and no party can continue to ignore it. So uh, Barilaro has now firmly placed the tag koala killer onto the National Party in the public mind. Will, will this turn into a, a net cost for, for, for them at the, and, and the coalition, or, or could it actually be played as a benefit at the next electoral? Uh, I think for the Nats, so they lost, was it, two or three seats in Western New South Wales, either in by-elections or in the election to the Shooters and Fishers. Um, and interestingly, I reckon those, they lost on environment issues per se, like mainly water and mm. the fish kills. But it was sort of from the perspective of you can't trust them because they're representing other parts of the basin over us. And it was very much a locals first type view where you had the northern basin growers basically getting a whole lot of water and screwing over the southern basin growers. And Mm -hmm. then that's weren't really going into bat for anyone in the southern basin. Mm -hmm. So it was really interesting like that. But then they also lost a seat in northern New South Wales. Um, So I think they've got pressure on the western flank and the northern flank or left and right if you'd like to think of it like that and they have to try to um to manage that sort of divide themselves if they want to maintain their same size you know in a party room in government or um because if they the long the you know, if if a coalition is to be re-elected, the, the fewer seats the Nats have, the fewer cabinet spots they get, the less influence they get over policy in the debate. Mm. So they really need to keep what they've got. And the current strategy is pretty much a, a classic identity politics strategy. You know, um, right. it's them versus latte sitters in the inner city suburbs, you know. It's kind of weird seeing, I mean, and it's kind of weird seeing, you know, people attacking for drinking soy lattes or, you know, tofu eaters or something when even a lot of the, you know, the constituents they purport to represent are people like farmers who grow, you know, soy products to be sold to consumers in the cities. But that's pretty much their strategy. It's pretty much attack the other as, you know, the reason for everything that's going wrong in the bush and any sort of you know economic malaise that's been happening there for you know generations 
and blame it on those others and to separate themselves around those sorts of things from everyone else mm. doesn't exactly deliver much for the bush other than hating the city. And it might unite people in the bush around something, but it's not a particularly positive thing for them to be uniting around. No. And I think it's starting to break down that sort of that sort of politics of division that they've succeeded in getting some sort of uniting around, but I don't think it's going to last much longer. Mm. No, no, as you say, they're, they're, they're under uh, electoral pressure from the West and from the North. They've been, they've been you know, losing seats left, right and centre. And they've also got, uh, you know, for instance, within the coalition, uh, I'd say Andrew Constance must be uh, a dyed-in-the-wool uh, opponent of Barilaro after their recent stoush over Eden Monaro. Uh, he certainly has no love lost when he's uh, told the uh, the parliament that his leadership is not what we saw on display last week from the deputy premier, and then stood by his comments later. Uh, it, it sounds like a fairly deep and and I, I know I've spoken to Matt Keane, and he sounds uh, sincere to me uh, with his commitment to uh, wanting to double the koala populations by 2050. Clearly, he's no fan of this kind of, uh, of shenanigans. So that that it does sound like the politics of desperation a bit, doesn't it, from the Nats? Yeah, it was very last minute. Like, I mean, given the policy's been around for a while, and um, to sort of have this escalate into, a, you know, I mean, the term's thrown around far too much, but it's a full-on political crisis where you've got, you know, the Premier not sure if she's got the support of the, you know, the junior coalition party. Um, to come out of nowhere like this is really, really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I would have thought there are people like Matt Keane who's trying to present an image for that, you know, Liberals do care about the environment. You think about the North Shore of Sydney and so much bush regeneration. There's so many volunteers. I mean, I would have thought the North Shore of Sydney would have the highest environmental volunteerism probably in Australia. Mm. And you can't, you know, spend your weekend going into a bushland reserve, pulling out weeds, and then not be concerned about, you know, koala habitat being bulldozed. Like, the two things uh, um, don't exactly... You can't pick one and then not pick the other. So to think that... that, I mean, as I was trying to explain in my article, the more that Barilaro wins with this sort of, um, you know, nature doesn't matter, property rights is all it's about sort of thing, this sort of view is that every Liberal MP on the North Shore of the Eastern Suburbs in Sydney is basically all of a sudden misaligned with their electorates. So the view being pushed by the government and the policy being pushed by their government is no way reflective of any of the views held by those constituents in those areas. And it's a kind of weird, you know, perversion of democracy, really, because I would have thought if you carried out a poll in each electorate of New South Wales, you would have the plurality of all electorates going, of course, we should protect koalas. It'd be a very, very small minority who would think there would be other things you would rather do instead of protecting them. Yes, but, that's that's right. It, it's, and it, it's a strange polarity and, and, and it's you know, weird, as you say. So, so perhaps, uh, you know, it actually indicates something else going on. And that brings me to Alexandra Smith's uh, uh, piece from the Herald on the 16th of September, in which she says the property developer is the only stakeholder to raise concerns about the New South Wales koala policy. Are we... Are we all looking in the wrong direction when we think about electoral uh, politics here? Is there something uh, deeper and darker at play? 
Well, I, th- you know, I saw that there were some agricultural stakeholders who raised a bit of a, you know, a small ruckus, but it was, they were very late to it. And, and given that they'd been engaging more generally in the policy, they hadn't, you know, thrown their toys out of the cot until now. Um, it, you know, the ag sector doesn't want to be known as a sector whose existence can't continue unless they make koalas go extinct. Mm. You know, if you're selling agricultural product right around the world... You don't want that product to be associated with the extinction of koalas. Like, it's the last thing you would want, which makes me think that there might be others who are really, really driving that. Yeah. And I have seen a whole lot of um, articles like the one you mentioned around, you know, developers pushing that. And it wouldn't surprise me. Anytime there's a windfall gain to be made from a rezoning or a, um, or a change of use or then someone's got a lot to gain from a change in policy. Yes. So, and having, you know, the people who tend to push this sort of stuff are the hardest are the ones that tend to roll the dice the most in terms of making financial risks. Mm. So they might go and buy a property that's covered in trees and then see what they can do with it. And they're bought at a very, very low price because it is covered in trees, because mm. every other person in the community thinks there's no way in the world I'll be able to put houses on that because it's covered in trees and I'm not an idiot. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, so, I'll, you know, the property value is determined by its current use, which is trees. Mm. Um, but other developers go, hoo I can get this for cheap and I can convince someone in government that I can do something with this else. And, and a policy like this koala one that comes along is a bit of an annoyance to someone who's rolled the dice like that. Yeah. It's made their property they've bought for $5 million and they wanted to sell for $25 million, still worth $5 million, and they're pretty pissed off about that. Yeah. So they're the ones who go into parliament and lobby and kick up a stink and have some friends in, pol- in politics who are happy to kick up a stink for them. And... You know, it's a fairly common tale that those sort of interests are the ones that drive some of these policy debates. Yes. Well, it's interesting to note that Chris Galaptis, whose uh, who, whose seat of Clarence we are actually broadcasting into, um, is has his background is as a property uh, valuer. That's that's his uh, his professional background, not a farmer. Uh, but he's he seems to be the the one of the strongest, the two strongest, uh, talking about crossing the floor. Yeah, like it's. Yeah. Interesting, New South Wales has always had, um, well, there's a long history of the role of property developers in Parliament, and it was interesting that, you know, New South Wales was one of those places that banned, I think it was New South Wales Labor, banned um, a while back property donations. Mm. You know, I'd like to see that same thing extended to miners and others who have, you know, almost a similar role in in Australian politics. Mm. But we do tend to like, the separation of property developers for, from politics because of that windfall gain. Um, and we do get incredible, like the public does get concerned when there appears to be um, people who are taking, the sort of amplifying that voice to the detriment of others in the, in the policy debate. Yes, it's uh, uh, it's not it's not pretty. Uh, people, the electorate don't like it. Uh, people like their uh, politicians and uh, indeed each other, to be honest. And uh, this does not smack of honesty, does it? They're like politicians aren't the most trusted of all groups in society. I mean, I know so many politicians who do such a, a good job and and work in politics 
for out of entirely good faith and, and altruistic reasons. I might have different views on how the world works better. Mm. Um, but, you know, a lot of people work far too hard um, to sort of contribute to society, but then there are others who really do bring the profession down in the public's eye. And these sort of fights that happen like this, you know, look, there are definitely a lot of people like me who are concerned about the environment and worried about what's going on, but there's a whole other people, a lot of group of people who are just going, I just want this COVID crisis to be over and I want to get back to everything else and Mm. can we focus on that for a bit as well? And for, for them to see... You know, the New South Wales National Party tried to blow up their own government in the middle of a pandemic. Mm. It's kind of a weird thing to watch. Certainly like, doesn't cover the National Party in any glory. Well, look, Tim, I, I have to I have to draw it to a close there, I'm afraid. But, that's uh, all right. It's been great to chat. Thank you so much for your time and uh, insights. It's, uh, it's been really helpful. I'm more than happy to chat again. It was great to chat to you today. That was Tim Bashara, Federal Policy Director at the Wilderness Society Australia. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental As Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand.